Hello and welcome to The Fundamentalist, the fandom podcast investigating all aspects of geeky media. Welcome to the I Disappoint Dad Club. I've spent my life trying to build something here. Growing up, a non-white, non-straight girl in Blue Springs, Nebraska. I wouldn't wish to excite your anticipation. I never asked to be made! You're exactly the hero I wanted you to be. The theme song you just heard is Good Riddance by R. Sonner, which is available on the Free Music Archive. My name is Kylie, and here with me are Gretchen. Hello! And Julia. Hi, everyone. The three of us all write for thefundamentals.com for fundamentally sound, fandom and analysis, and be sure to type the into the URL because I've had a few people confused about that. And <laughs> one of these days it will stop auto-completing to fundamentalist. Yep. Um, oh, right. I have to really train. <laughs> it's it's fine. But yeah, no, check us out for all sorts of TV reviews and news and uh, deeper analysis pieces if you want to read about why Zelda is such a dutiful princess. You know, we've got that. Um, <laughs> it's the summer. So there are two big shows that we're into. One of them very positively is Winona <laughs> Earp. Yay! Gretchen's been covering that, and this season has been awesome! It's so good, oh my gosh. Yeah, definitely be sure to just catch up on it. It's so campy and so fun and so nice. Just catch up. And... So it's directed at me. Guess what, Julia? A week from tomorrow, what is coming no. back on? <laughs> nothing, nothing. Nothing is coming up. It's going to be, I'm definitely not going to have to stay up until like 12 every day talking about something I hate. No. Oh my God. Yeah. So Game of Thrones is coming back season seven and we're going to have all sorts of yes ways of covering it. We're probably going to be, be doing, your one-stop shop. Yeah. We're going to have a live blog when it's airing where we'll be reacting with all our happiness. Um, we're going to be having a very snarky review recap the day afterwards, courtesy of our writer Jess. We are going to be having a weekly podcast. It's looking like we're going to have Wednesday episodes uh, on Unabashed Book Snobbery. That's a different podcast that Julia and I host. Gretchen does not because she was smart and got out of the Game of Thrones game <laughs> very <laughs> early. Yeah, and We'll be doing that with Caroline, right? Uh, yes, with Caroline, yes, who's <laughs> very into uh, costume snobbery, which is fun. And since all the women are wearing the exact same outfit now, that should be easy. <laughs> Oh, oh my god! Oh. Uh, we're gonna have a deeper piece, probably focusing on, on like one or two plot lines, or one or two, like something with a character or something, by Tumblr user Turtle Paste, who uh, anyone Yay. who knows anything about Game of Thrones or Song of Ice and Fire on Tumblr, she is just a very, very yeah. insightful. Uh, She's the writer. Yeah, yeah, we we're, totally. we're fangirling, and there might be another piece or two by me or Julia if there's some yeah. particular aspect of fucking horribleness. Uh, so yeah. <sighs> That's what we've got going on on the site. And of course, we have, you know, like our continual comic reviews. Uh, there's video game releases that I'm sure we'll be covering. Uh, summer the is one the- thing I will say for Wake Game of Thrones, it makes me a very productive writer. Yeah. For like, real. You, I look back at all the stuff that I, I wrote, like, last year and the year before during Game of Thrones season. It's amazing. How did I write so much? I know. I just reread our retrospective on Winter Hell, and I was like, whoa, we did all this. <laughs> that sounds right. It was only a few months ago. Yeah. You guys were, like, yeah, that Prolific. was crazy. Yeah. 
That was a lot of things happening. Well, the story is getting streamlined, so hopefully our tasks will be getting easier and easier as time goes on. But yeah, yeah it'll that's just a- be so awesome and complex that we'll have nothing to criticize, right? And there will be lots of battles, probably. And battles are a lot. I mean, they're easy to cover because recap, they're like, and then yeah, they fight, <laughs> and then there's some smashings. Right, we're not going to go through and be like, oh my god, this tracking shot, that was so great. Like, you guys can tell that for yourselves if you're watching it. The production value is wonderful, we've always said so. But yeah, yeah th- those are just the main things we've got going on on our site in addition to our, our usual, I almost said usual drivel. It's high quality, I promise. <laughs> and uh, like we do on this podcast, let's talk about what's been going on lately in the fandom space with news. Hooray! Uh, I mean, first up, Ava DuVernay. Uh, I don't know if people are familiar with her. She's amazing. I love her. She's got her. an awesome name, Ava <gasps> DuVernay. <laughs> oh, she does. She's doing, um, she's directing the Wrinkle in Time movie that's going to be coming out, which okay. is amazing. She's an amazing director, writer, producer, um, is going to be teaming up with Netflix for a series on the Central Park Five. Which I don't know if people are familiar with that. That was a um, yeah. That was the famous like rape that case. Was, it was kind of um, a certain somebody's first foray into politics as well. Hmm. A certain someone who is now <laughs> president of the United States. Wow. <laughs> a certain oh, someone God. who is the butt of all of Angela Merkel's snark. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Oh she gosh. was rolling her eyes at Putin too. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're they're more or less the same person, right? Yeah. But like. Yeah, I think it'll be, I'm excited for, it feels weird to say I'm excited for a TV show about this topic, but I just, she's going to do, handle it really well, I think. Yeah. It's going to be really well done. I think you're right, too. Um, Yep. Okay, so another piece of news is that Daniel Day Kim and Grace Park left Hawaii Five O over an equitable pay dispute. Mm -hmm. I'll be perfectly honest, I didn't know Hawaii Five O was still going on. Yeah, neither did I. (laughs) Um, uh. <laughs> but those are, those are both actors of Korean descent. So it's interesting. I wonder what those, those disputes were about. Did that have anything to do with that or? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, they weren't getting paid as much as their white. As, as much as the white act. Yeah. Okay. That's what I figured. But yeah. Um, yeah. And th- they're like the two most well-known names on that show. So yeah. I was going to say Daniel Day Kim is big. <laughs> and Grace right? Park, like she proved her chops in Battlestar Galactica. Say what you want about that show, but the acting was incredible. So you just like her because she's Canadian. <laughs> well, she is Canadian, and she also, she's, like, Tatiana Maslany before being Tatiana Maslany was cool. Like, she played, like, multiple parts, basically, yeah, in the yeah. same show. Mm, well, yeah. Daniel Day Kim, I just am in love with. I've, I was so in love with Jin when I was watching Lost, and then yeah. he's oh, Hiroshi yeah. Sato. Like He, like, basically learned Korean for that role. <gasps> was yeah, he the yeah, voice yeah. of Hiroshi mm-hmm. Sato? Yeah, he was, he was the voice yeah, he of Hiroshi Sato. Ugh. No wonder I it's funny because uh, uh, an acquaintance of mine who speaks Korean was just like, his Korean improved so much during the course of that show. It's That's not even so funny. funny. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he doesn't have any sort of like, obviously he has an accent. He doesn't have any sort of Korean accent. But when they, he was playing Hiroshi Sato, they like leaned on him to like do a little bit of one. And I always yeah. have like mixed feelings about that. But Even though mm. like, you know, Korean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, the Fire Nation descent although hiroshi is a colonist i don't know none of it's perfect none of it's perfect yeah um, anyway um a coded japanese character played by a korean in the cult yeah those things don't look well together okay let's go on (laughs) yeah well speaking of uh korean actors of korean descent uh randall park from fresh off the boat is going to be in the I guess, sequel to Ant-Man, Ant-Man and the Wasp, which is coming <laughs> right? May of 2018. 
I didn't even realize they were making an Ant-Man and the Wasp movie, so I was looking up news and I was like, oh, okay. Is, is he going to be playing Wasp? I mean, I don't... No, I, the Wasp is... um A woman, yeah? Yeah. They yeah. Like, there's no character information yet. Um, But it is cool to have a, an actor of Korean descent in a superhero well, movie. We don't yeah. really get those much. There's really not many East Asian actors in any sort of superhero movie. No. Um, I'm trying to think. Unless unless it's like some bastardization of, you know, like karate or something. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. The, With like that kind of shit shows up. The magic ninjas in Daredevil. Yeah. Remember yeah, the yeah. magic ninjas in Daredevil? <laughs> maybe, 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 maybe fists made out of some kind of metal that ought to, that ought to have someone of East Asian descent in the, in the title role. Cause you know, it's about oh, like, I, like Iron Fist stuff. maybe. Yeah. Uh. I, I wasn't gonna name names, but <laughs> um, Nick Fury, Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury. Uh, speaking of Marvel, by the way, is going to appear in the Captain Marvel movie. Of course, he is. Yeah. Okay. I, I can't keep up with Marvel canon at this point. What happened to Nick Fury? I don't know. He died I a don't couple keep... times, as I recall. I, saw... I don't know. Or he almost died, <laughs> I dead, or he yeah. like fake out died. I, I get confused. <laughs> I remember made from Agents of Shield being upset about it, right? Oh, right. Yeah. Like, I feel like the Marvel movies at this point are, like, at some level just as bad as, like, the comics in terms of, like, they died. No way. They're not dead. Yeah. Hey, is the theme of our notes today Korean actors? Because now we also have news that John Cho uh, from Star Trek. Is he Korean? Yeah. Okay. And we'll be be in season two of the Exorcist TV show as a child psychologist. I would just, like, I was looking up news, and it just so happened that, like, everything was about actors of <laughs> Korean descent. Yeah, I mean, John Cho, I actually s- still associate, for better or worse, I still associate it with Howard and Kumar. Yes. But- oh, I forgot he was even in that. I, I think I, of him as I, Sulu. Yeah, I they filmed love- that movie, like, right down the street from my house. He's such oh. a good actor. He really is. <laughs> yeah. So, and I, like, this show's the kind of TV that I used to watch, because as soon as I heard he was playing a child psychologist, I was like, oh, so, like, B.D. Wong. (laughs) From... I'm sorry, I just looked ahead to the next... Okay, well, we can stay on superhero things for a little bit longer. And I'm flipping out about this. Erica Durance, who played Lois Lane from Smallville, it was recapped... Is she Korean? No. No, she is... She's white. She's white. She's white. She was white. Okay. She was recast to play Alora Zorel on Supergirl because Laura Benanti had scheduling conflicts. I fucking love this actor and Lois Lane from Smala. This is amazing. I had no idea this was happening. I'm so excited about this. She just played a really, really, really good Lois Lane. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I she came really on, and then you were like, "Why is Lana even still around here? This character is so much more interesting." Well, good. Hmm. That's good. Yeah. I. Th- can- I mean, I'm excited. I'm excited about the news that Allura Zorel is going to be coming back into the story because, because mommy, because, because, because parent child dynamics are really interesting to me. And you know what? She kind of does look a little bit like Laura Benanti. Like not, it's not perfect or anything like that, but it's not, it's, it's not enough, super like, different. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, they're close enough. Yeah. Like this is actually a pretty decent, uh, recast. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, let's stick on comic-y things for a little bit more gail simone uh apparently wants to write the power rangers sequel okay someone she, hire her to do this please is she in talks or yes. is she just tweeting because she trolls everyone on twitter like she i just, don't know she can like like she can write anything she wants <laughs> she just says a lot of things and half the time you can take it seriously and half the time you can't um what she, like, i want we exist right what 
She knows we exist, right? Us? Yeah. Well, Our website? The, podcast, the website. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There was something Griffin wrote that she retweeted that I can't yeah. remember, but yeah. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah so it, maybe she's just go. trolling people, but like, even if she's just trolling people, like, someone please actually take her let seriously. Her write, let her write her Power Rangers. Let her write, no, you know what, just let her, give her Batgirl, like, please. Oh my right. gosh, right? Please actually give her Batgirl. I love how excited she was about Wonder Woman, though. Like, she would not shut up about it. <laughs> yeah. She, um. Yeah. Okay, then two more sort of pieces of news that don't super fit in no but um i know tumblr like these shows the friends that i follow on tumblr everyone's been freaking out about doomfist from overwatch so Uh he's a new character um the leader of talon who i think are the bad guys I don't. I, I know, know literally nothing about Overwatch except that everyone is the lesbian in it. Apparently, <laughs> according to well, Tumblr, there's like no. There's everyone no wants canon. everyone to be. Just, well, yeah. I mean, actually, there is a canon. Well, there's, there's the a story. Co- there's the comics, but like the the game itself, we're talking just like arena style matches, mm-hmm. and it's people just run with it, which is fine. But like, yeah, it is fine. I mean, there is like there is a lot of lore, and there are like mini like videos that come out. Yeah. Um... So yeah, well they're Apparently, in space, like, right? Big... So we can assume they're all bisexual. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, so, and we know that. And we know that yeah. Tracer at least dates women. So yeah, and she's so the, yeah, like, everyone is. Ex- yeah, she has yeah. a girlfriend, but everyone wants her. Yeah, I follow a lot of people who are into Pharma Mercy. Um, oh my god, everyone's into pharmacy. So yeah, anyway, Doomfist. He looks pretty cool. I don't really know much about the game, but like he I'm looks really awesome. happy for you guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are we are excited for all of you Overwatch players that Doomfist is around. Just like Yay. for the record, WoW is my vice and very dangerous for me, so I just avoid all Blizzard merch and <laughs> anything to do with it. But I hope you guys have fun with this. Um Yes, enjoy Doomfist. So, okay, the last one is something I am actually excited about. Okay. So, um, at the beginning, at the beginning of this month, um, Star Wars started putting out this mini series. It's a series of YouTube shorts. They're like two to three minutes long, um, called Star Wars Forces of Destiny. And it is entirely female character focused. Um, so we, there's, um, like two episodes of, like, there's two of Rey. Um, two oh my of God, Princess. The sands of Jakku. Yeah, like there's two of Rey, two of Princess Leia, and one of Ahsoka Tano. Um, but they have plans to have ones with uh, Sabine Wren from Rebels. With okay, I'm bookmarking this right now. Um, they're like delightful. Like they're just like fun, short little mini adventures that give you insights into character. Um, the one I think I was like, I might have been spamming either one or both of you about it. Um. About the Princess Leia one on Return of the Jedi, yeah, where did. like it explains where she gets her her dress in the movie, yeah, um, and like they like because she helps like rescue these Ewoks, and so they give her a dress as a present, and she puts it on and is like, "This is pretty." Does it come with a spear? <laughs> I was like, "Yes, yes." You, you mean rather than when she just like appears out of a hut, and you're like, um. <laughs> With her, like, beautifully, like, demure hair down and whatever. Oh, my God. Whatever. Yeah, like, it's it's definitely trying to be, like... Oh, Return of the Jedi. Just because she's in a dress doesn't mean she's no longer <laughs> Marshall. Um, okay, anyway. I'm going to check these out. These sound really fun. Yeah, but, like, all of the shorts they have planned is, like, all focused on female characters in the story, which I just How think is, is so awesome. How is Reddit reacting to this? 
probably pissed off. Yeah, as you I've expect. read some of the I've read some of the comments on the YouTube videos and, and don't oh, no no comments. no don't do YouTube yeah don't all of don't do all it. of all of the white boys are mad. <laughs> Oh my god! Uh, my favorite, okay, my favorite. But best, like, okay, but the best thing is someone actually complained on Twitter. It was like, "I want one that's Anakin Skywalker focused." And whoever is running Star Wars Twitter, like the official Star Wars Twitter, is like, "Bless them, whoever you are. I love you. You're amazing." Because they retweeted this complaint and was like, "You would really enjoy Star Wars Three: Revenge of the Sith." Then <laughs> I was like. I so I, just, I remember seeing this meme that was like uh, Dudley Dursley from the Harry Potter movies, who was just like thirty six movies starring a white male protagonist. But last year I had thirty seven. I love that. I love that every time. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, Star Wars well, versus it's, the it's, Since the men are generic, women are special. So if you see yeah. someone who's not a white man like starring in something, then suddenly it's a statement, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas like men could just it just flies under the radar. So yeah, yeah. interesting. Interesting. That's stuff. why I like Ray because it's not a statement. And she's just there. Yeah. In her being femaleness. Right. <laughs> exactly. But people, in, yeah. the people who say it's a statement generally have an agenda. Anyway, we are way over time for this news segment. So let us jump into our first segment. And I should have warned There's you. There's no that's... danger of being over time on this one. No. No. So uh, the the episode that we're recording, very special episode. It's going to be a, d- a double segment on the same yeah. topic, and it's a topic very near and dear to all of our hearts. We call it complicated familial dynamics. Uh, we'll have a uh, a nice fun segment in the middle to to break it up. But yeah, we're going to be jumping into that and talking all about the uh, welcome to the I disappoint dad club. I think. <laughs> so let's cue the transition music. You're not Martha Kent. Would you have seen me if they said it was Lois Lane? Alright, complicated familial dynamics. Let's just talk about what we mean when we say this as a very general overview, and why are we drawn to this? I don't know. (laughs) Could it be that we have idyllic family lives at home? Does anybody... I mean, I don't think my familial dynamics are, like, any more complicated than most people's. Like, I have issues with my mother, but who doesn't? I think mine are pretty complicated, actually. Yeah? Yeah. I think I think mine beat most people out, but... Well, I, think... I mean, you and I have very similar... Yes. Very, very similar complicated family dynamics. <laughs> yes, we do. Uh, mine is, like, just downright fucking poetic, too, with, like, tragic parallels between specific people and miscommunication oh yeah it's good it'll be a good play one day if i can bring myself to write it you should write it kylie you you like made a doc for it you should do it it's true it's too melodramatic but uh yeah the, the thing about uh complicated familial dynamics and the, and the reason that at least i'm interested in it is because i think for anyone who's ever felt that guilt or that like compulsion to do something for a family that is probably against your own best interest or against your own happiness. Like, that's just a common tension that you live your life with, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think complicated familial dynamics in media, like, there's a lot of media where it's just sort of idyllic. You know, the focus is more on the, the external kid. External conflict. Yeah, external conflicts or the kid just, like, doing whatever and the parents are just, like, there in the background. Are there still the mysteriously, like, absent parents, like Rugrats? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, this is not realistic. Do you know how helicopter parents are these days? Yeah, Rugrats is a little weird. Like, oh, who let the kids into the backyard again? Oh, look, we took them to a show and they got onto the ice. Like, 
It doesn't really happen. My favorite is actually Charlie Brown, where the parents are just trombones. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because that's how much they don't matter. But there's, um, there's some, there's some shows that, like, actually delve into it, which is appreciated, appreciated. But, uh. What about the parents of Mary-Kate and Ashley movies? (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) Well, in Holiday in the Sun, that was a whole theme, where they were, like, brushing up against their, uh, you know, overprotective ways. But then when they finally got the autonomy they had craved, they it was a perversion of wish fulfillment. So it was actually quite deep. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, I think one of the things that that I noticed in this discussion thus far is like it's complicated. Those kinds of relationships with parents are really common in like kids shows. Because the show is like the show is focused on the child. So you don't really want the parents involved. Like it's about the adventures of the children. Which is fine, but isn't it quite a bit unrealistic that there are children that don't have to deal with their parents at any point? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, I agree with that. It's just like that, I think especially for like a certain period of time, that was just very common on kid shows that like, who cares about the parents? This is not about the parents. So like, we'll we'll find a way to make the parents absent somehow and just, you know, focus on the lives absent of the Absent or terrifyingly neglectful. Yeah. Yes. When you when you start looking at it, you're like, who is taking care of these kids? Um, but when you're a small child watching the show, like, you don't think about that. I mean, even Avatar The Last Airbender, you know, it was portrayed as ridiculous that Toph's parents, like, wouldn't let her run off with the Avatar and save the world. But we're talking about, like, a 10-year-old girl, 10 or 11-year-old girl who is blind, like, Asking to join a war. Yeah, I mean, it was framed more as just, like, they didn't believe she was capable of anything because of her disability, but... Yeah, exactly. But, like, they went... Lao had a point. Yeah. Yeah, a point that would be true of... I mean, is true for, like, all of them. And, like, why are, like, 11 and 12 and 13 and 14-year-olds... Saving the world. Yeah, saving the world. Yeah. Oh, God, that's tragic. Because Nickelodeon asked them to have starring kids. That's the answer. Right. But anyway, like, why are we drawn to this? At least for me, like, a huge part of why I'm drawn to it is because it, like, it's a representation of, like, my home life. Not necessarily always one-to-one, but, like, the idea that, like, not all family lives are perfect and that you can have very complicated relationships with your parents. Um... Was was something that was like, oh, right, yeah, I relate to this. I relate to, like, not idealizing parents. Yeah, you um, know, it's interesting because I was raised on those cartoons with the absent or negligent parents. Like, I think we all were. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I would have been ready for this kind of narrative when I was a kid. Because, like, no. you're still, you know, when you're in a, a situation where maybe your treatment is less than ideal you don't realize it right away because you're a kid and it's all that you fucking Mm -hmm. know so you're just like this is parenting and this is fine and it's not until you're able to like sort of mature on your own and get away from situations a little bit that you get some perspective so i find myself more drawn to things now than i was for instance watching gilmore girls in high school I loved Lorelai and Rory's relationship. It was, you know, a mother-daughter more like two sisters, and it seemed, like, aspirational and great and all of this. And it was just like, oh, isn't that so cool? But re-watching it now, I'm like, God, no, that's kind of, like, their relationship's sort of inappropriate. Like, Lorelai puts way too much on Rory. There's Yeah, that's, oh, that, kind of, that kind of relationship always ends up with the child taking way more responsibility than they should. Yeah, like, that's and, what the, that means. and the thing that gives me feels now is Emily and Lorelai's relationship. 
And it's just mm. like so fractured, but so beautiful. Uh, so hmm. it, it, I'm certainly drawn to this, Gretchen, for the same reason you laid out. But I would say it's a recent draw, like yes. since I was yep. 20 on. I think before that I wasn't there. Yeah, and- like if you had asked me when I was like a teenager – like to engage in this kind of media, it probably would have made me extremely uncomfortable. Yep. And it's I wouldn't have been able to pinpoint why. It's a little too close to the bone is, mm-hmm. is what it right. is. Um, right. And, and would have made me think very uncomfortable things about my own family that I wasn't ready to start thinking about and processing while I was like living with my family. Yeah. You know, what's really funny is that what first started framing everything for me was Arrested Development. <laughs> <laughs> Which is supposed to be, like, a drawn-out parody of how ridiculous families are. But I'm like, ah, why am I relating to Michael so much? And I hate Michael. So what is this? What's going on here? Yeah. Yeah. It's complicated. we should probably define complicated at some point. Right. We've been kind of talking around it. Well, like, complicated means kind of, like, with conflicting motivations, I suppose, in this case. Yeah. Like, you know, wanting to please your mother, but also not wanting to please her and wishing she would just go away. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think also, that, can, that can be oh, one sorry, level continue. of it. Yeah, like, I think there are many layers to complicated that, like, we find compelling. One of them is, like, that kind of ambivalence of, like, I both, like, love and also, like, at some level, don't particularly like yeah. members of my family. Or like mm-hmm. you realize that you love them, but you kind of also realize that you have to get the fuck away from them. Yeah. You love them, but it's too yep. much on you. You know, I mm. actually, um, because of course I did on my legend of Korra blog, I did a definitive ranking of complicated familial dynamics across legend of Korra <laughs> and uh, avatar, the of last course. airbender. And I remember the ones that sank to the bottom of the list were ones that were particularly unrealistic, I found. It mm. wasn't just, like, not flesh out. It was like, this is specifically an unrealistic dynamic. Sort of like Molin and Mako stumbling into their entire family. And, like, <coughs> they never knew they were orphans, even though they're famous athletes. And, like, just all this weird fucking shit that is... I don't think this actually makes sense. Um Yeah, I... Yeah. So I think... Complicated familial dynamics have to be grounded in a very sort of pragmatic reality as well, I would say. Because uh, it can't just be complicated for the sake of being complicated. It would have to mm-hmm. be like, like like Julia was saying, it, it's very rare that there's just no affection in a family. Yeah, right. It might not be healthy for you to carry this out, but there's going to be some attachment at any rate, on some level. Um Unless you really just come to a point where you realize, like, you know what, this toxicity is too much. Mm-hmm. And that can totally happen, too. But but even within that toxicity, there's still affection. I mean, just, like... And there's just such... Yeah. It's such a difficult thing to navigate, too. Uh, yeah, and to me, like, that's what's so compelling is, is that humans are rare... Like, humans are rarely black and white. And yes. complicated family dynamics, like, really bring out... Because it's family and there's so much kind of ideology around family that like families stick together like all of the like you think of all the aphorisms mm-hmm. about family um families stick together like blood is thicker than water even the though the wolf a per- dies and the pack survives yeah like all of these aphorisms about like family like families have to stick together and and families have to be loving and families have to be like you know your 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 core identity has to be your family like that's where it starts but like Real life families hardly ever have that perfection. And so it's when you get like that, like I, 
ideal family running up against like the reality of like human nature and yes. how like messy human beings are and that they can be like good people and also really awful but not always intentionally awful like it's when those things start to get together like to me it's like complicated family dynamics highlight like the best and worst of humanity all at once mm-hmm. and i think the telltale sign that it's a complicated family dynamic is if an individual actor will be inconsistent in like their behavior or their morality or whatever it is when family is involved yeah. versus something mm. else. I think that's almost always one of the things where they will make allowances for family that they wouldn't otherwise, where they'll try to like put themselves in a situation where they otherwise wouldn't do it. That's like the absolute telltale sign. Things just like reason sort of gets a little bit tossed out the window. Mm-hmm. And not always. You could see them like fighting against it, but there's going to be that element of it. Like, you know, Asami her dad tried to kill her right so she goes to jail to like curse him out and then she ends up leaving in tears and then wants to give him another chance like that is you know very inconsistent with the asami that we know who is super committed to justice and someone who would try to kill their own daughter like if if you know fucking tanrock tried to kill uh cora you think she would give him any chance yeah no so like to me that's that's one of the signs that it's complicated (laughs) (laughs) yes um, a thing I wanted to talk about before we dive into our favorite examples, even though I'm already tossing out Cora like every five seconds, yeah. is uh, a lot of... Well, okay, first of all, let's let's pretend that you're from a really happy family, um, whatever that's like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who are these people? <laughs> Why should people who aren't broken find <laughs> their family? I'm sorry, I have to just laugh at my own situation, but it's fine. Uh, why should they care so much about complicated familial dynamics? in media why is this a trope that is worthwhile even if it's not personally validating well to me i think it really is just because of what i to me it goes into what i said is like because it gets it's an opportunity to highlight how like morally ambiguous human beings are um in a way that's not in just like a different way than like romance because that yes. tends to be the other place that you'll find a lot of, like, these similar kinds of tropes would be, mm-hmm. like, in a romantic relationship. Um, so I think it part is, of it is very that, nice like, to get a break from the constant, like, pairing off of characters yes, that yes. a lot of serial types of media are obsessed with. Like Supergirl season two. Call yes. Not talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but part of it, too, is, I mean, and I would say this about any dynamic that like you don't personally experience is it teaches empathy Mm. like it may not be validating to you personally in terms of your experience but like that's how you understand what other people go through what other people's lives are like and in a big boy too you know you choose your friends but you don't choose your family so if there is a complicated situation you're forced into it's not just the viewer empathy of seeing oh wow some people go through this but also the empathy of you being in that situation mm-hmm. you have to empathize with your family members or else you're never going to get anywhere like you can't just write them off and you can't just leave usually mm-hmm. sometimes but to get to that point it has to really do something you know right um i think i just love how inherently personal it is like right away yes that's a good point because you have like, like immediate stakes Mm-hmm, exactly. And it doesn't have to be, like, you don't have to establish someone falling in love with someone else first before those stakes are raised. Like, Yeah, that's true. It's right off the start. Right, and part of that is because, like, family is, like, a trope. Like, all of the tropes yeah. that we have associated with family, just, like, we all immediately, like, can 
identify with like, oh, right, like this is a relationship that matters immediately because we all assume that like uh, we all assume that your family is really important. Right. It's a trope, but it's a trope around which our entire society is constructed, right? Right. Yep. Yep. Um, so yeah, so it's a, it's a good, sh- it's a good short, uh, storytelling shortcut, which is what tropes are, um, to like establish what you mm-hmm. just said, like establish like stakes within a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, I thought it'd be kind of fun too to talk about some of those storytelling shortcuts and like patterns that are usually evoked with complicated female dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest one I can see, cause it's almost always, there's just one parent who that's where the tension is. And so, right. therefore, the other parent is either just in the background. She's like Senna holding a broom and not doing anything. Oh, God. She's entirely absent or she's fritched. Like, you know, Yasuko Sato or something. Yasuko Sato, sorry, I said it wrong. Um, something like that. And uh, it's often, if there's a dead parent, it's usually a dead mom for some reason. Um, but if there's a dead parent, there's almost always a another trope which is one of my favorites where there's like a happy home movie or like a happy photo of what things used to be like during Mm -hmm. the happiness right and that's probably one of my favorite things to see but uh, yeah you know is it sexism that it's usually the dad where there's a fraught dynamic or is it just interesting because then there's that overt protective paternalistic challenge it could be both or either yep (laughs) i mean it's kind of hard to generalize about things like that Mm mm-hmm yeah, because there could be a level at which in a patriarchal society, it is assumed that the father is more important, especially if it's a male child. And like the dominative voice at home, I guess. Yeah. Right. I'm just too Jewish for that shit, I think. Because <laughs> Jewish mom is another trope, believe it or not. Now, I think we were talking about this uh, a while ago, like, um, there doesn't seem to be much difference in media between the Jewish mom trope and the borderline personality disorder mom trope. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> that's a whole other can of worms I think we can get into. <laughs> well, yeah. especially if you have a borderline personality disorder Jewish mom. Yeah. They say, so. Sometimes they intersect. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a whole other can of worms. But what's funny is that when when they want a difficult mom in, in media, it's very rarely just a Jewish mom. I can only think of really crazy ex-girlfriend that did that. Um, usually it's a wicked stepmother. And she's allowed to be a terrible mom because, you know, they're not biologically her kids, I guess. Yeah, that's that's very idealized motherhood. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, like, should, like, we, we should link that. Um, we'll link that. We talked about idealized motherhood on one of our other podcasts, and we'll link mm-hmm. that because we have a discussion about the problems with that. Mm-hmm. And, like, Cinderella is the prime example where she has her two uh, fucking horrible daughters that she likes. Yeah. Uh, who I think are Anastasia and Gisela, because I only really know Disney. But, um... You have to watch she... uh, Cinderella 3, A Twist in Time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's yeah, but a she's time-traveled a... Cinderella. I should write about that. Oh, that you should. In, in my back pocket. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. No, but, but, you know, like, you know, they turn the non-biological daughter into a slave, yeah. and then... The the biological daughters are treated super well, even though they're shits. So that's like the, the the standard trope there. And then a wicked stepmother is almost always coupled with a bumbling dad. Yes, um, uh, like a dominant, like like a henpecked dad. Yeah. Yes, or like he's too drunk to realize what's going on, or something like. Yeah. Just but when I think of wicked stepmother, I always think of Aunt Petunia from Harry Potter. 
It has, like, a lot of the same dynamic as... And, like, her awfulness kind of lets you put Lily on that pedestal, you know? In a way, but what's interesting is that, like, Petunia is the one who softens a bit more than Vernon. So, yeah. So that is... That's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, Mm. A few other tropes. Let's just go through some of these. There's always the, like, single line of descent. Like, I'm the last male line yeah. of whatever like, I am the heir is on my shoulders or whatever which is why I love Winona Earp because it's like the Earp daughters and they're yes th- they're the ones with Wyatt's legacy right yeah they're ta- they're totally taking on that trope and just making it about women rather than like last male descendant yeah I um, love it um deceased parents are the best this is what you're getting into with uh Lily and Harry Potter and James Potter and yeah. usually you're, you can be raised by grandparents that's another trope uh I am not your father or I am your father. For some reason, sometimes media makers don't know how to like imbue complicated dynamics. So they have to just have like a surprise parentage reveal. And, like- yeah, no, there's always, it's, it's, it's kind of surprisingly common. I think I'm thinking about like the killing and the leftovers. There's always this trope of like, um, the dutiful dad who raises his wife's child who's not biologically his. Like it's kind of shockingly common. Oh. Yeah. And it's like super not common in real life. I'm sorry. Like, unless you're Liv Tyler, I just, I don't really know many examples of this. Yeah. <laughs> Liv Tyler's actually on The Leftovers. <laughs> oh my oh, god. that's funny. <laughs> that's really funny. Um, Cain and Abel is another common trope where there's like, you know, competing siblings. Um, yeah. Yep. And a good one and a bad one, or a foolish one and a responsible one. There's also my favorite trope name is Cain and Abel and Seth, where there's just this random third party actor that's sort of like, uh, shoved into that dynamic to sort of push the whole Cain and Abel tension one way or another. Where does Enoch fit in? I, he's an, um, uh, Tell me personally he, freaking divinity. Where does Enoch fit in? I he's one of the knows. descendants of Seth. Oh, okay. I can't remember if it was Seth's son or, but he's in that line. Oh, Seth is like a biblical figure? Yeah. I just thought they were is picking it, like a random name. I don't know. No, Seth is the child that like Adam and Eve have together after... Cain kills Abel and then is like doomed to wander the earth. And he like oh. mysteriously runs into a wife who's not quite sure where she comes Somehow. from. Somehow. The Garden of Eden just happened. But whatever. Yeah. <laughs> then one of the one of the most common tropes of all is, you know, something runs in the family. X mm-hmm. runs in the family. Uh like Martel whatever. communication deficiency disorder. Sure. Um <laughs> but sometimes it's stuff that people actually talk about, like, oh, hot headedness runs in the family. Yeah. Stark mm-hmm. blood. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Wolf blood, right, yeah. right. And then another trope that we see a lot is princesses for some reason. <laughs> more and more, it's it's great because princesses just started being these like completely 2D characters, just like they the prince would obtain and yeah. that's it. But now basically every modern princess has a complicated familial dynamic at this point. Yeah. And it's yeah. wonderful. So yeah, those were just some rundowns of the tropes. Uh in part two of this segment, we're going to be talking about our favorite complicated familial dynamics and what they mean to us. But before that, we're going to be jumping into one of our fun segments. So Hooray! stay tuned. You tainted our past and destroyed our future together. I want to make amends. All right. So our for our fun segment today, we are going to go um, beyond the fourth wall. <laughs> We are trying to figure out what to title this. Um, so this is, this is where we can discuss things where, like, what happens behind the scenes on a show intersects with what happens on the show. So yeah. we're kind of the Watsonian and Doyleist intersect. Ooh. That sounds um, so sophisticated. 
Mm. We sound so intelligent. (laughs) So today's is uh, going to be on pregnant women on TV shows. And pregnant actors specifically. Yes, pregnant Mm. actors on TV shows. So how does that, how do you handle that? How have TV shows handled when one of the actors gets pregnant um, and they're still in production? And this came up because Winona Earp. Um, they just ran into it, right? Just ran into this. Well, the, I mean, just on the TV show, it just came up. It happened last year. But Melanie Scrifano went to, who plays Winona Earp, went to Emily Andrus apparently like before they started production on season two and said, hey, just so you know, I'm pregnant. By the time we start filming, I'm probably going to be about six months pregnant and I will give birth likely just around after we wrap up filming. Oh my god. How so... do you feel when you're six months pregnant? <laughs> right? Um, lots of chunky sweaters, apparently. <laughs> um, so, but like that's, that raises an interesting question of like, what do you as a writer or producer do when an actor comes to you and says, I'm pregnant, but we haven't filmed this season yet? Well, so that's kind of what I wanted to talk rare- about. Reactions is right. to actually make the character pregnant. That hardly ever happens. Yeah, yeah, usually, sometimes they find reasons to write the woman off for a season. Yeah. Right. But, the, the, like, when they do make the character pregnant, it's always, like, some bizarre circumstance. Like, the one that I'm thinking of is when uh, Scully mysteriously disappeared for half a season. She had some kind of magical alien-induced pregnancy, right? Right. She was, yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that was not good. Like. Yeah. Like, it hardly ever happens that, like, a woman just gets pregnant. Like, you know real women do they just kind of get pregnant sometimes yeah right they just like hardly ever write it and if they yeah. if they like, do it's not always like a into... big huge thing it's just like oh i decided i want to have a baby so i am well, yeah um lisa kudrow during mm-hmm. friends run she was really pregnant when they gave phoebe triplets yeah but right. she was just pregnant with they just thought like triplets were funnier <laughs> but they they like had to pad her because she was obviously just pregnant with a normal baby. So she, it was the it was the rare case of making the pregnant woman look more pregnant. On TV <gasps> That's shows. hilarious! I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, because when especially when you're on, and this might be something interesting to talk about is like how you handle that on like a, a sitcom or a comedy versus like a drama. Yeah, well, because the the this classic the stereotype what you normally do right, especially on a sitcom, is you just like. Have a woman holding boxes. <laughs> or like hiding like, behind desks. <laughs> yeah, like Elaine, Elaine Bennis on Seinfeld is the prime example. Julia Louis-Dreyfus was pregnant during seasons, I believe, three and eight. I know it was definitely season eight for one of them. I think the first one was three. And apparently during her second one, Jerry Seinfeld came up to her when she was five months pregnant and was like, you know what would be funny if we just made Elaine really fat? And she burst into tears, and then that killed that idea. Aww. They literally did that on Frasier, though. They made Daphne fat for a season. Oh my god. <laughs> mm. But uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, like, wishes they had done it now, looking back, she said. But uh, what they did with, yeah, they had, like, Elaine riding with, like, a big box on the subway. There's an episode where she was, like, in a janitor closet wearing, like, some kind of schmata that, like, hid everything. <laughs> a schmata? They- Kylie, Kylie's learning Yiddish. So not, dude, I've been using Shmata since I was two. It's not like I'm. I'm learning That's like actual word, phrases and say, you know. I'm learning f- phrases and articles and things like that. Uh, Shmata is like a rag. Yeah. That's what that okay. means. Um, there's the one episode where Jerry and Elaine get fat eating what's supposed to be non-fat yogurt, but it obviously is full fat. So yeah, okay. that's how that works. Okay, right. So they get fat, and Elaine like obviously is allowed to show, and Jerry meanwhile just wears like a bigger shirt. <laughs> oh my gosh! 
Yeah. Um, but that, they, that's like the, that's the yeah. stereotype of how to handle it, you know? Like, just hide it. Right. Like, hide it and sometimes, like, lampshade it. Yeah. So, hold on. What's going yes. on? Nothing. Yeah, so, um, in Always like, Sunny, when uh, Caitlin Olsen was pregnant, she was like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be hiding behind boxes for an entire season. Like, that's not happening. So. That's <laughs> actually, just, like, one of my favorite episodes of that show is the episode where they're all trying to figure out. Like, it's absurd and kind of gross, but, like, the episode where, like, every single male character is like, did we have sex with D? Like, <laughs> like did did we not, did, like, one of us knock her up and, like, didn't realize it? And she just, like, lets them do it. It's a hilarious episode. I mean, there was a, um, on Voyager, on Star Trek Voyager, um, I forgot her name, it's something Dawson, who's, who played Delana Torres, she, uh, the, uh, she was pregnant for more or less an entire season, and they more or less ignored it. Like, she was just, like, doing normal stuff, wearing, like, a more baggy uniform. But it was just That's... obvious she was pregnant. They just That's kind, kind of, of amazing. Like, they had her, like, behind panels more often than usual, but just, just like, actor was clearly pregnant. They were just like, whatever. <laughs> well, what's funny about Caitlin Olsen with Always Sunny is that, like, they knew that a baby wouldn't be funny. Because they did the one, like, dumpster baby episode, but they knew that they just didn't, they couldn't have a gang member getting a baby. So right. they're like, what do we do? So they just had her be a surrogate mother for, um... Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's what they did with Phoebe. Yeah, yeah, for a gay couple. Well, it was for a gay couple on Always Sunny, but, like, yeah, no, the entire season, Dee just let everyone think that she was having a baby, and they were, like, trying to be there for it, and then, like, the last episode, they're all like, we're ready to raise this kid, we're ready to be there for him, and she just, like, hands the baby to the gay couple, and she's like, what? Like, this is Oh, you I'm thought, <laughs> yeah, right, like, oh, you thought that, you Oh know, my god, I, I forgot about Sex and the City. In Sex and the City, the actor got pregnant, and then they worked it into the story. I'm so stupid. <laughs> and they did it really well. <laughs> Miranda? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, it was, it, like, completely changed the entire dynamic of the entire show, and they just, yeah, it was And good. it worked well because they had Steve be the dad. Yeah, I like Steve. Yeah. He's, like, the only, well, I like Harry, too. I don't like any of Carrie's boyfriends at all. Yeah, well, when, when has this been done well? Because I would say Always Sunny was done really well. Well, it, right? in a comedy situation. Yeah. In a <laughs> comedy sense. I'm trying to think of a drama where it was done well. Because drama, like, drama shows are where you get the weird shit, like, Dana Scully getting, like, alien mm-hmm. impregnated. Like, that's, like, Yeah, that they always, t- like, you know, like, they just, they, they do something dramatic, like, you know, rape or whatever. Right? Yeah, they find a way to make it, like, mm-hmm. even more sensational and kind of exploitative when mm-hmm. you think about it. Like... Just, like, kind of, like, traumatizing pregnancies in, like, dramatic situations is typically yeah. what, like, they tend to do. It's like, let's let's make this somehow, like, a, like, let's make this, I don't know, I was thinking about this last night, about the way that it's typically used to, like, be violating in mm-hmm. a way. Like, they'll, they'll turn the pregnancy into something that's violating to the female character. Yeah, well, um, I mean, like, especially if you have, like, a procedural or something like that, you know, like, just right. let the woman have a baby. It won't change anything because this you know, show is ridiculous just, anyway. Yeah, well, right, like, on the, a crime procedural, like, you yeah. can just have, like, the actress decide to have a baby and then, like... Complain about daycare every once in a while, and that's basically <clears throat> about it. Right. Well, okay, so Carrie Washington was pregnant during Scandal, during one of the seasons of Scandal, but she just hit it by having really large coats and purses. So, like, nothing talked about... But I mean, like different, but like my pregnancy, I could have hid with a purse because I barely showed even when I was full term. But like some oh, women just like. Although, you know, Julia, it's yeah. funny you mentioned Sex and the City, which is obviously not a drama, but it's not a sitcom in the same sense. No, I, don't mm-hmm. know um, it, I think it was like 
It's a comedy. dramedy. It's a comedy. Well, it's Sarah a dramedy. Jessica Parker yes. was Sarah Jessica Parker was pregnant during like season five, I think. Was she? Yeah. And they just had her wear hideous outfits that well, had like flowy middles. That didn't change anything. No, it didn't at all. Um, I'm sorry. I hate that character so much. <laughs> She's definitely the least interesting character on that <sighs> show. Yeah, and you know it was also weird because uh, and Friends. It's actually kind of funny. They figured they wanted Monica to not be able to get pregnant. And, like, they had an adoption storyline because that's the story they wanted to tell. And what was kind of funny is that Courtney Cox got pregnant as the adoption storyline was underway. So <laughs> they just had to hide it by having her in very loose clothing. So they couldn't just, like, change the story? That was a big question. Uh, apparently not. Because they kind of did that on Sex in the City, too. I mean, like, I don't think it was anything to do with actors, but, like, they had, like, the couple adopt a baby and then, like, they conceived a couple of years later, right? Yeah. Which apparently mm-hmm. is not unheard of, like something about your mommy hormones getting going or something. But, Amy Poehler was yeah. pregnant in the uh, second season of Parks and Rec, which again, not not a not a sitcom. No. Like mm-hmm. it's yep. it's a comedy, but they just didn't work it in. They just kind of worked around her production schedule, and, and that the, was um, it, so. in How I Met Your Mother, the two lead female actors were pregnant at the same time. Oh <laughs> and, and yeah one of them actually um we were talking about this before we started recording of one of them like you know took some time off in the middle of filming the season and they covered it up by like having one of the characters say something very offensive and then the character the character who is pregnant walks out or the actor you know she walks out yeah. and the voiceover says then we didn't see lily for four weeks Oh my god. <laughs> but no, like, I'm, they really just don't let people have babies a lot. Yeah. Well, like, they, especially when they have, like, you know, a sitcom where it's all about, like, the group dynamic. They don't want to fuck with that, right? And, um, right. And, like, on drama, like, on, like, procedurals, or I think, like, dramas, <clears throat> like, <clears throat> excuse me, I have something in my throat. <clears throat> I don't know why, but, like, they choose not to go, like, they tend to not go that route. Like, the only crime procedural that I can think of off the top of my head where they integrated it into the storyline was uh criminal minds where um i forget the actress's name but jj um gets she has two kids on the show and i think the way they handled that well is just like she has a job where like there's not going to be a lot of like the the focus is on her job and like her husband stays home with the kids and so there will be a couple of episodes in a season where like they will incorporate like her home life there's the procedures are shocking like sometimes, especially like when you have, you know, the more sidey characters, like usually have like one or two main characters. But like mm-hmm. I would think on uh, The Mentalist, there's this one side character who literally had like two episodes focused on him in the entire series. The Mentalist. Yeah. yeah. So it's just like, it's just like, oh, like Joe has like a mother. <laughs> oh, <laughs> who knew? Exactly. So is there, like while we wrap up the segment, is there like a thing you prefer? Is there a thing you'd rather see? I mean, I definitely prefer... That they don't, like, kill off a main character just because she gets pregnant. Mm. Yeah. Isn't that what happened on Supergirl in season one? I thought so. Wasn't it? With With, Laura? With Laura Benanti. Like, she got pregnant and so... Like, I don't know all of the details behind it, but, like, I know the reason that, like, that, like, Astrid is no... Like, got killed off was because... Laura Benanti was pregnant. So, but and like, it's coming back as a different actor. I, yeah, now a different, well, Astra is dead, so, but it it's was a, like they were twins. Aware, yeah. yeah. Um, so. Yeah, that might have been why, because I thought they wanted her to be recurring. I'm not 100% on that. Yeah, um, I'm not either. So, I, and I don't want to like. Yeah, and blame I really them. don't like when the actors just disappear for an entire season. Like, I think that's kind of. And I definitely don't like, especially in sci fi and supernatural shows, I think when they do the whole like, 
magical baby. And usually it's like magically evil, like either magically evil or like alien somehow, like X-Files. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this happened be. on Grimm where oh. I don't know if the actress was pregnant, but they incorporated a like magical, maybe kind of demon baby. And I just think it's just not appealing to me. It's not <laughs> yeah, a story so- I find appealing. Yeah, sometimes women have sex. Just like let them have be pregnant if they're pregnant. I think it's just I don't like the box solution. I really don't. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, and, like, pregnancy, like, you kind of hinted at it earlier, Julie, is, like, why can't it just be, like, sometimes women get pregnant, Mm -hmm. so, like, why can't that just be the story on the show? Yeah. Just, like, work it into the show. It's not that, babies aren't that difficult. The best, I think the best, the show that did the best was actually Sex in the City with Miranda. Mm. Yeah. I think you're right about that, which is depressing, but I think you're right. Right. It can it can change the dynamic of the show without being I mean, like a yeah. big drama, without like being a big exactly. Deal. No, it was a big, it was a huge deal. She had a baby, like you know, she wasn't with the father, and that was kind of like you know complicated. Oh, it, it drove it drove Miranda's plot for the yeah, rest of but the it show. wasn't it wasn't like oh my god, you know, like you. It was. It wasn't overly dramatic. It was appropriately dramatic. Yes, she was still. She was still Miranda, yeah. and it took the character in a di- direction they didn't expect to. I think a really good outcome. Yeah, right. And that I think is what. Um, I'm. Ho- I'm pretty. I'm sure that this is what is going to happen on Winona Earp because oh, Emily yeah. Andrus is such a good writer, and there are a couple of interviews floating around where both of them, where both Emily Andrus, the writer, and Melanie Scrifano, who plays Winona, talk about kind of what this process was like incorporating it. And I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be more on the sex and city side. I have no uh, doubts that it's going to be. Yeah. Well, cause it's amazing. Um, so yeah, that was our, was this a fun segment? It's at least just something that we find interesting uh, to talk about. So let us know what your favorite examples have been of pregnant women. If there's any we missed also that you think we might be interested in learning about. Um, <laughs> cause yeah, sometimes the way they handle this shit is just so fucking weird. Yeah, like totally. alien babies. <laughs> alien babies. But we've got, hey guys, we got more complicated familial dynamics to get into, so. Transition music. They're gonna have a baby! <laughs> and, and, they want me to grow it for them in my uterus! So now we are going to blab for 20 minutes about examples of complicated Yay! familial dynamics. Yes! Uh... Julia, let's start off with the oh no prime. yeah let's get this let's get this done and out of the way so that I can tell you guys to stop when you <laughs> no I think this is mass. this is what made us into this like this is when we realized <laughs> that this was ours and also that the little hand lord and uh uh feudal lord and handmaiden trope was our preferred romance trope OTP <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah so uh, we're talking God. about um the Dornish royal family in a song of ice and fire of course. By George R. R. Martin. Mm-hmm. Um, they there's one character of this Dornish royal family that appears on screen on page in a Storm of Swords, the third book, but the family drama itself doesn't really begin till A Feast for Crows, which I just wrote a love note to. Yes, he did. It was lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to spoil too much of it, but there is a princess, yep. Ariane Martel, a literal princess with political power, and she <laughs> is. By all rights, the heir to the throne of Dorne that the ruling prince, her father, Durin. I, I need to say Durin instead of Dorn, Dorin because it sounds like I just say Dorn. Yeah, but Durin um, is a character from my fanfic. <laughs> yeah, I know, but like, what do you, what do you, Duran. Wasn't that what they were Duran, saying? Duran, yeah. Duran. Duran. Yeah, so that's her, Duran, her, Duran. her dad. And she believes that she is going to be disinherited. And her evidence for this is not thin. Like, it's for what she knows. And 
all of, and all this angst that she's feeling and like they don't really have a good relationship at this point it could all be solved if one of them just had a conversation with the other one mm-hmm. but they can't do that because they have a shared shakespearean flaw of poor communication so her entire plotline is about the intersection of the political and the personal and like is it okay for her to like have do this political action for something that's very personally motivated and like it, yeah it's just oh god i can't even and gee she in the uncovers context of, that her like hereditary her... absolutist monarchy <laughs> right yeah. and she uncovers the fact that her that her father has actually been having the same kinds of motivations in life about doing some very political things for very personal reasons. They have a shared flaw and a mutual misunderstanding. They're more or less they, the same character, is what we decided, except Aryan's a little more into sex. <laughs> yeah, this is absolutely when Joy and I became mm-hmm. Julie, because uh, we would just go through and analyze and we realized these just beautiful parallels between them, and it's like, oh my god, my heart hurts so much. And it's just years and years of bad communication and internalized guilt and sort of like <laughs> idealization mixed with anger oh my god it's fucking perfect yeah but um they're not the only family who has complicated shit going on in this particular series no i would say that um the lannisters are an equally complicated family i mean like the incest kind of makes things complicated yeah well and tywin's a primary abuser Mm -hmm. then you see the way that like cersei and Tyrion have a ton of parallels between each other with uh internalized ableism versus internalized uh, misogyny and the way that unfolds and sort of their own conception of um legacy that's something all three Lannister children struggle with right the way and all three of them are like both mirrors and foils for their father it's beautiful and for each other too it's just yeah. really astounding the way that the that Lannisters works. are well written um you know you know i'm not sure that there's like almost every single character is driven by family when you get down well to it. it's a very family-based kind of society right yeah it, it has to be but mm-hmm. like brienne you know she's not the daughter the pretty daughter that her father deserves or the martial son so she's like doing what she can and she has a lot of guilt about her place in the world for that right oh. even though even though someone is just like oh follow your dreams sweetie <laughs> yeah the only difference between her and like any of the other complicated family dynamics is like her dad's just like totally supportive of doing her doing whatever she wants. Apparently, she it's the- weird. go join Renly. Yeah, I'll write. I'll write you a nice letter. Castle. Castle. You don't have to marry anyone if you don't want to, honey. Uh, the Starks are obviously a little bit complicated. Mm. Ned has this guilt and this promise he made that he can't talk about with anyone to his sister, and it sort of ruins his entire life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot of other people's know, like, lives. When you really think about it, like, arranged political marriages are the, like, worst foundation for a family ever. Like, in terms yeah. of like, familial relations and your relationship with your children and things like that. Just, like, so fucked up. Oh my god, everyone's driven by this. I mean, Kat is, like, yeah. she's literally from the house whose words are family, duty, honor. Like, yeah. But, like, it's like it's within like a patriarchal context as well. You know, it's mm-hmm. so like you know the house that you belong to is patrilineal, and yeah. that kind of like cuts out half of your family from you. Mm. Yeah, but like that's yeah, not but- actually the case. I mean, like you know, look at the Stark children. They're they're definitely half Tully. You know, like not even just from their appearance, it's just the way that you know their characters, the way they behave, the way that their mother influenced their characters. But like mm-hmm. that's not. It's not really like, you know, able to be actualized within the society. It's fucked up. <laughs> yeah, we can we can seriously talk for two hours about the complicated familial dynamics within in the Song of Ice and mm-hmm. Fire, but the one Maybe thing we'll say we will. is just not on this week. Just yeah, just yep. read a Song of Ice and Fire seriously. And um like that's you guys like, can save like that for a UBS episode. Yeah. This inherently comes up with every character because it has to. 
yeah. But yeah, that's that's our spiel. You should check it out because oh my god, and and start standing Dorn with us. So Kylie, you want to talk about the next person on our list? <laughs> oh no, uh, Kate Kane. Yeah. Okay. So Batwoman. We actually had an entire episode on Batwoman, but we kind of got a little off track because I wanted to talk about her complicated relationship with her dad. But just to give you some backstory on Kate's history, she, uh, well, no, that would spoil Elegy. No, she just has a da- her dad around and they have various levels of shared character flaws and, um, he, he keeps some information from her to protect her. Kind of major information. <laughs> yep. Well, like, definitely yeah, like Ariane and Doran level major. <laughs> More yep. than one time, she yeah. learns that there's information that he keeps from her, and basically, she can forgive him for lying a couple of times, but he keeps fucking doing it. So every single time she learns something new, she's like, what is wrong with you? Like, all I want to do is make you proud. Why do you always fucking do this? And she actually, like, has a, a breakdown about it at one point. There's another point where she locks him into a jail, but she, like, won't talk to him about it. Yes, it, she refuses. It makes a lot more sense and it's really bad because <laughs> there's like the audio feed that she can hear and he's like and like two of his cellmates are playing I spy because they're fucking idiots. They're just like I spy something reflective. Like they're in a fucking jail cell, you know. There's only so many things. And he goes I spy a girl who wants to talk to her father. And Kate's like listening and she's just cut the feed. It's great. It's fucking great. Um but yeah, I mean, you know, she's very very driven like her mom died that's not really spoiling too much uh her her mom died she's very just driven by like her dad's a, a, a military guy and she's she really really uh idolizes him in a lot of ways and wants to be just like him she gets kicked out of the military under don't ask don't tell because she's gay uh so then she like feels like she can't be on his path he kind of helps her become batwoman uh because he realizes she's gonna fucking die otherwise if she doesn't do something if she's just aimless and all that so uh, yeah there's an intersection of like supportiveness but also like lies withholding. yeah with lies, lies. and withholding but it, like he always has a point like jacob's right. not a bad guy at most he's a well-intentioned extremist ish but even then like it's he's not a bad guy ever he's just like doing the best he can with the cards that are dealt and he's not completely honest with his daughter at all times and, oh, God, it's so fucking good. Just fucking read Batwoman. Oh. I should finish that. <laughs> I, I swear to God, tech was written for you. The tech rebirth was written for you. Probably. I've told you this multiple, multiple times. Multiple times, yes. I know now I'm that I have an hour and a half commute every day, oh, maybe I'll have time to read comics. <laughs> are you in your car commuting no, or are you I'm on public subway. transit? Yes. Yeah, so just for a while. Not. Yes. And speaking of comic, like, complicated family dynamics in comics that you ought to read, mm-hmm. Star Wars. Oh, God. Oh okay, gosh. so Star Wars, I think, is the first thing that kind of proto got me into this, because oh, I remember when I was, like, 13 yes. years old and really, really into Star Wars, like, the original trilogy, because I'm that old. Um, I well, was, we're all that old. Yeah, I was broken, broken by Leia and Vader's relationship. And I didn't oh. understand why it wasn't the focus of the movie, you know? Oh, my God. It's ever mentioned at yeah, all. Yeah, no, no, she's just like, oh, I always knew that he was my father. Like, really? While, while he was torturing you, you knew? Yeah. But, but like, the whole movie is focused on, like, Luke George. learning to forgive him. And just, like, what has Luke 
And what has Vader done to Luke that's so horrible compared to what he's done to Leia? Nothing. You know? like, nothing. So, like, you know, like, it's nice that Luke was able to forgive him. Good for him. But just, like, it's kind of like Luke seeing apartheid really, is wrong. Like, wow, you're so brave. Luke, Luke didn't really matter to Vader other than the fact that he was, like, the one trained to be a Jedi. No, he didn't. Like, that, that, I mean, look, the implications of Luke mattering to uh, Vader so many, so much more than Leia does is, are kind of ugly, to tell you the truth. You know? Like, well, super sexy my son. And that's one of the things that they, like... And like, even when he um, found out about Leia, it was just like, oh, this is something I can use uh, to go to Luke, so he'll fight me and turn to the dark side. And it's like, this doesn't well, fuck you up at all? And I, like, I... Like, the original movies, it's definitely true. And I mm-hmm. will defend the fact that, like, the comics are trying really... Like, yes. I will defend the comics are trying really, really hard to, like, flesh out this dynamic. But like, even Part in Legends, it is, like, like, the original expanded universe... It was ridiculous how little yeah. it affected her. I mean, she she ends up naming her third kid Anakin. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, no, fuck you. I will like that pit that yeah, fuck that. Um, but like the new comics are trying really, really, really hard to both like explore and the new um the new canon like novels. So uh, we can link my piece on Bloodlines because Bloodlines is amazing and everyone should read it. And it is like everything that I wanted out of a like Leia novel. Um, because, like, she's, one, like, she's middle-aged, so we hardly ever get, like, middle-aged female heroes, and, okay, so she's, like, the most dutiful of princesses, but whatever. Like, one of the best things about it is that she spends so much time thinking about how much she hates her dad. Mm-hmm. Her biological for, like, all dad. Of the sh- yeah, her biological father. Yeah. For all the shitty things that he did to her. For, like, blowing up her fucking planet and killing her whole family and, well, like, torturing her. <laughs> But, like, Vader, like, stood there yeah. while she watched, and she he totally, restrained like, her. Yeah. yeah, he, yeah, he kept her, like, he forced her to watch. Um, and it's glorious, because mm-hmm. we finally get to see that, like, yeah, Leia has a lot of really, really complicated feelings about her dad, and she spends the majority of the book talking about how, like, she doesn't understand why Luke can forgive Vader. Yeah. Um... And like they like, and the, what's tragic about it is because you realize just how alike Anakin and Leia are. Yes, that like Leia is Anakin's child, mm-hmm. like is Anakin's mirror image, where Luke is more Padme's child. Like Luke is more like Padme, and and Leia is more like Vader. And the fact that and, like yeah, the the, the new oh. the new trilogy is like seems to be like seems to understand that, like, you know, the way that they made right. Leia the military leader of a guerrilla war. You know, like, mm-hmm. that's not something Padme would yeah, ever like, do. <laughs> no. No, I kind of yeah. feel like they actually just had more people considering Leia's character, exactly. and especially more women in the writer's rooms, mm-hmm. being like, yo, this is a whole lot of background suffering she's experiencing. Like, very background. Right, and, like, the most... The most recent one shot that just came up mm-hmm. in the in the Star Wars, like the regular Star Wars serial comic, yeah. um, was a was a Luke and Leia one shot where like there was a whole scene where Leia is talking about like her grief over Alderaan and like all of that, and Luke's just like, yeah, that that's really shitty and awful. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is everything I needed. Yeah. Um, Luke is, Luke or what about the time when she was willing days. to let Luke die because of duty? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. That was another scene in the comics. Yeah, and that's... But... Like, she has a ruthless streak, man. (laughs) The the other thing about the comics that, like, literally breaks me in pieces about Vader and Leia is because we get these, like, Vader and daughter figures. Like, you... One, it fleshes out why Vader is so fixated on Luke, because he finds out that Luke is his son. Um, But he he doesn't know that they're twins. So, like, literally the only child he knows about is Luke. 
And so he's really fixated on Luke and he wants to like train Luke to like, so they can rule the galaxy together um, as father and son. And, um, but it also at the same time gives him these relationships with like female characters that you can like imprint. This could be Leia. Yeah. Like this could have been Leia. And it's just like, fucks me up inside because you realize that like Vader has these positive relationships with like female characters and you realize like he would have been a really good dad to Leia and <laughs> you realize what his, re- <laughs> like what his relationship with Leia could have been like in another yeah. universe. And yet the only memories that Leia has of her father are like traumatic and filled with pain and suffering. And mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, why? This is why, this is why the <sighs> Arl Knotts parodies of Star Wars are perfect because Leia is just his kid. <laughs> and he's like, God damn it. Wait till your mother hears about this. She's like, why are you such a jerk? And then in the Empire Strikes Back one, she like, cause he, he, he spirals out, like, you know how he spirals away at the end of a new hope. Uh huh. Um, they have him like call herself and be like, "Oh God, Leia, just just tell me you got off laser moon because that's what they call the Death Star. Just just like tell me you got out of there all right." Then in Empire Strikes Back, they like run into each other in Cloud City, and he's like, "What the hell? You're alive? We thought you were dead for three years. We had a funeral." And she's like, "I've been busy." <laughs> it's just it's just absolutely perfection. <laughs> And if you like Kate Kane's complicated relationship with your dad, mm-hmm. I give you Dr. Chelly Lona Afra and her relationship with her dad. Mm-hmm. Because it is very, very similar. Yeah. Where, like, her dad just kind of shows up and was like, oh, hey, I got your your doctorate revoked. Hey. Help me, help me find this long lost, like, Jedi temple thing. And she's like, fuck you. But hey, I'll do Gretchen, it anyway. I see your Leia and Anakin, and I raise you Marceline Abadir. From Adventure Time. <laughs> she has double daddy issues. Yeah, she does. Because she has a demon father, her, her like, biological father, I guess. And, like, a really normal mother who was just played by Rebecca Sugar. But, um, <laughs> it was really weird. But her dad is uh, Hudson Aberdeer. And he's, like, the king of the fucking, like, underworld. He's the devil. They call him. <laughs> yeah. He's, like, the literal devil. And he comes on land and he sucks souls and all this stuff. Mm. And she has an entire song about how... Yeah, French fries. One, ti- one, ti- one time he came to Daddy, hang out and and he, like, ate fries? the fries. Yeah, he ate the fries that she ordered and then she was crying and he didn't even notice it. Um, Which was obviously not about the French fries. But he's just, like, a terrible, terrible person. But then he uh he's like, of course I care about you. And then but this is like, well, he has an inflated head full of souls or something. <laughs> and then Finn has to like oh cut all gosh. the souls out of him. And Marceline's like, that was emotionally exhausting. <laughs> but what's, what's worse is her relationship with Simon, the Ice King. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what ended up happening was her dad like ditched her because he's the devil. And she got raised by Simon, who is this scientist during like this kind of scary war sort of time. Post-apocalyptic and- mushroom kingdom kind of thing yeah yeah and uh she was like a little little kid like five or six and like he you know looted a teddy bear for her named tambo and stuff like that but um he had an ice crown that gave him powers and he needed the powers to protect them from some of the shit that was going on but the crown slowly corrupted his mind and turned him insane and like the ice king we know Mm -hmm. is the one who's always like trying to kidnap princess bubblegum Mm -hmm. and like he's just kind of he's just this creepy lecherous dude and he has no memories of who Marcy was from back then. So she loves him, but he doesn't know why. And she can't, like, explain why, because she's Marceline. And she uh, keeps it in. Yeah. And there's just one episode where 
they kind of go into the relationship and, and he, he's just like, I want to visit Marceline because I have really good lyrics that I found in this drawer and she'll, ha- and she's a musician. So she'll help me perform them. So he comes over and she's like, you're such a, like, get the fuck out of here. But then finally she like lets him stay and they sing this song together. And it's tragic because he wrote the lyrics and the songs are just like, uh, Marceline, I'm losing my mind. Like, I'm really scared. You're going to lose me. This magic keeps me alive, but it's making me crazy. Like, please forgive me. And it's just this heartbreaking, like classic Rebecca Sugar heartbreaking song. And she's like, don't you remember what this means? He's like, oh, cool. I wrote this hot beat. Like, he has no idea what's happening. Mm. So she's like singing it and sobbing and he's like just happily playing it. And it's just, it's a, it's one of those 11 minute episodes where you just, you can't move afterwards. Right. And, uh, yeah, in later episodes, like he and Marcy have seemed like on better terms. And then she's like making her girlfriend go meet him and have a good dinner with him. It's like they're wearing the bi fi flag. Oh my god. Um, I can't, don't get me started on bubbling, but yeah, Mar- Marcy's uh, family dynamics are. I want to talk about crazy ex girlfriends. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I relate so much to Rebecca and her relationship with her mother. Is that because it's borderline mom syndrome? Possibly. No, but just like the whole thing where like, there's this one song where like her mother just kind of like tears into Rebecca's house and starts like singing about like she needs to go to the Where's bathroom. The and she just like starts criticizing the, the fact that her bathroom doesn't have enough decorative soaps in it and like things like that. It just like Rebecca's just kind of like after two minutes, she's just emotionally exhausted. And I related mm. to that. So it's, but like, it's, it's one of those things, like, like when, if you were like to describe your mother's behavior to somebody, they'd be like, what's wrong with that? They're like, I don't know, but just after two minutes, I'm exhausted. Yeah, yep. and what's great is that that scene is followed up with Rebecca being like, you know, mom, it's really not nice to just blow in here with all these criticisms. And then the mom's like, I'm exhausted. For once in your life, put yourself in my shoes. Yeah. Oh I'm my just like, gosh. that fucking Dinah. I've heard or like, that when she line. says like yep. one thing and mother is just like, stop interrupting me. Just like relating. Stop with the talking. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I relate no. to that. <laughs> That is so fucking accurate. There's, there's the one, um, there's the one line of the song where she's like dramatically brushing her hair, like it's the least you can do. You've lived inside me for nine months. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, I sometimes say that to my son when I want him to give me some candy. Julia. Just like, how can you not give me candy? I keep with you. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Man, when mother issues are done right, mm-hmm. I just, like, can't deal with it. It's just so close to the bone. Like, like the Bayfongs? Yes. Like the Bayfongs! Oh my god, poor fucking Lynn and Toph. Like, guys, please watch Legend of Korra. Seriously. Like, the, ba- one- the Bayfongs just, like, murder murder me. Mm-hmm. Just, like, book- just yeah. kill books me. Books one and two please. are fine, but then the Bayfongs come in books three and four, and you're just like, what? Yeah, it's the Bayfongs, man. Like, uh. there's... Oh my god, I'll link I'll link the Lynn piece that I wrote, because, like, Toph is just the worst. She's just absolutely the worst. But she loves her. You can tell that she does. Because Lynn, like, freaks out and being like, you never care about this. And once we're done this, you and I are finished. And, like, you can tell Toph is broken by that. But then she just kind of sucks in her breath and goes, if that's your decision and that's what makes you happy, then fine. Yeah, she just saw INTP about it. Right. Like, Toph, just fucking tell her you love her. (laughs) I feel like Toph and Lynn are the rare, like tragically similar mother and daughter they're perfect yeah you're right like most of these examples that we've talked about are like father daughter tragic yeah and that like lynn and toff are just the like mother daughter where like they're at odds because not because they're so different but because they're like the same person 
and don't know how to talk to each other. And, like, it's just everything about Lynn's life is tragic. She purposely followed in Toph's footsteps to, like, be the next To make her mom proud. And she just wanted to make her proud, and then her mom disappeared for 30 fucking years. And then her, like, long-term boyfriend was like, you don't want to have kids, so I'm going to go marry a younger woman. I mean, and you can understand where Tenzin's coming from, too. Right. But, like, basically just everyone always leaves Lynn, and she's just this, like, hardened, yeah. hollow shell. We do not deserve her, though, because she's a hero. She's a fucking hero. We will. Yeah. We should link that piece, too, because, like, she is the hero of the story that everyone just kind of shits on. Yeah, like, everyone just ignores her kind of in the story and a little bit in the fandom. She gets, like, a, like a shish kebab at the end, so it's all good. She, yeah, she gets Yay. her meat at the end. Were they Maybe serving meat on Air Temple Island? It's Varric's wedding. I know, but I don't know. It well, in the, in the fic I wrote, he, like, imported all this, like, illegal shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, of course he did. How did he get, how did he get vodka here? Because there's, like, a, uh, it was gin, or, yeah, I think it was gin. They're just like, how did he get this here? Because there's a trade war right now. So. Right. But, yeah. If you want, I, like, complicated sibling dynamics, the Bayfongs have that, too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, that's especially in book three and book four. Opal, Batar have, like, that's, like, a big driving title. Like, Opal, Batar, Kuvira, and Suyin. Like, that's just all yeah. a cluster fuck. Like, Suyin and <laughs> Lin. Suyin and Lin. That's book three. Oh, God. We're going to go way over time. We're, we're already over time. Yeah, but. right. Because I was thinking Legend- the other, like, yeah, the, yeah watch watch Legend of Korra. If you want other complicated sibling dynamics, uh, Winona Earp, especially, like. Oh, that's beautiful. Especially yeah. season one. Especially season one, because you have the, like, I think the, like, Cain and Abel and Seth syndrome, yeah. like, comes up. And it's just, like, I wrote a piece on that about the sibling dynamic, and it's just, like, punches me I in the face. S- I would say Frozen had the potential to punch me in the face, but they didn't execute it right. No. So, yeah. But that had, that had all the setup there. One day. One day, man. Yeah. Um, another Supergirl. Complicated, another complicated familiar dynamic just to toss out is Dutiful Princess Zelda <laughs> and her <laughs> dickhead dad. And I want to link Bo's piece because it was awesome and makes me want to pay $400 for a Switch in Breath of the Wild. <laughs> uh, we yeah. have to I mention the dollars. What? I kind of sort of promised Gregory well, no, one. No, 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 no. It's, it's, like, it's like three. Mm. Um, oh, good. Only $100 less. Yeah. Yeah, but like if you want the classic control instead of the biscotti sticks or something, it's like another hundred. I, I don't know. I, okay. Like, I'm, I'm still t- tossing it around, but I'm blowing all my money on plane tickets lately, so I don't think I have it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, not, it's not cheap. No. There's, but, al- uh, there's always Luther's. The Luther's. In Supergirl and in Smallville, actually, because uh, yep. Tess was everything. Uh, yeah, the Luthers just like, especially that was one of my favorite subplots of the season this year on Supergirl was was Lena and her emotionally abusive mom because that was one of those where I watched it and was like, "Ow, this feels this feels real. This I so feel good. this." And it kind of made me depressed. I know that this is such a weird complaint to have, but it kind of made me wish Hiroshi Sato was a mom. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, just, cause, yeah, because, like, Would it have changed a lot, though? Like, is his gender incidental, or? Yeah, it kind of is, but I think it just would have, I, you don't see imperfect moms a yeah. lot, you don't. Right. And I think it would have changed that. You know, I get that her, she was supposed to be Henry Ford, but sometimes moms can be genocidal. Maybe Henrietta Ford. Yeah. No, I know, I know, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Like, his gender was kind of incidental, but I just think there's such a good inherent challenge to some of that. Yeah, but of course. I don't know, at the same time, there's the challenge to protect the I mean, gender yeah. is really never incidental in a patriarchal society, so. I'm, I'm sort of, I'm torn. Yeah. But, 
Yeah, I don't know. I just there's something really compelling about seeing just a terrible mother. Although she was the stepmother to Lena, right? Yeah, but well, Lena's like, adopted. It's not really stepmother. Yeah, that's yeah, true. um, yeah, and and awful without like she's a villain and she's a bad mom, but she's not a villain because she's a bad mom. Yeah, I I like that distinction a lot, and I think it matters a lot. Um, other complicated familial dynamics, like I was thinking Steven Universe with the Rose legacy stuff and Ooh, how wow, yeah. her relationship with. Greg and Pearl and even Amethyst had some weirdness going on there. Yeah, that there's a post that, that's been going on Tumblr recently about um how Amethyst was kept in the dark so much for so much of her life. Yeah. Like Garnet and Pearl just like didn't tell her who she was or where she came from or anything about Homeworld or anything about like anything really ever. And So that's complicated. Then, right, exactly. Like it was complicated before Stephen and Greg came into the picture, and then Stephen and Greg just, like, made it even more complicated for everyone. Yeah. In a really, then, like, compelling way. Because you understand why everyone makes the choices they make. Absolutely. Yeah, and then I'll link my Rapunzel pieces, because I, um... On that, Into the Woods. Yeah, well, Into the Woods especially fucks me up. Uh, Stephen Sondheim had a horrible, horrible, horrible mother. Mm. There was one point where she had a surgery that she needed to get, and she wrote him a note, and the note said, my only regret in life was having you. Ugh. Um, Ow. Yeah. Yeah, it was really bad. He was sent to boarding school, like military school, which he loved because it taught him structure and like piano, basically. Uh, but it was just like a really, really, really bad mother. He was actually raised, his surrogate father was a little bit, um, uh, Oscar Hammerstein. Rogers, uh, Rogers and Hammerstein? Yeah. Uh-huh. It was his next, like his, one of his close neighbors. Well, what's interesting about Into the Woods is you have both the witch and Rapunzel and then you have the baker. Yep. Like you have that complicated, like. The baker, the baker's father hiding in the shrubberies. Yeah. Yeah. Like how, like what do you, like that song fucks me up. The song that, that the baker and his dad sing about. Yeah. Um, and then the song at the, yeah, just like that whole well, the, second the entire, half of that musical is just. Yeah. The entire theme of Into the Woods is like parents are terrible sometimes. Like, yeah. You know, the, the, at the very end, they're all singing like people make mistakes. Fathers, mothers, people make mistakes. And, like, that's one of the big things of it and collective responsibility and, like, mm-hmm. you know, sort of forming your own family out of what you can and all that. And it's, it's for a kid's, mu- like, for, for a musical that's just kind of maligned as being super kids, it's not, it's not uncomplicated. Um, and yeah, fucks me up every time. Right. So, yeah, maybe, like, as a companion piece at some point, we should do an episode on found family narratives because that's, like, that. kind yeah. of like the companion to, like, complicated like biological and or like adoptive you know whatever family dynamics is like found family yeah um yeah i agree with that but like at this point we are way over time for what we're normally doing so uh yeah and i think uh julia got kicked out yeah julia fell off her call like a second ago it's all right it was just us blabbing about it to the woods um but no, but it's, it's it's fine. Uh, you know what? Let us know what your favorite complicated familial dynamic is. Let us know if you find this trope really boring. If you're like, I don't care about family. I'm more interested in the external or the uh relationships or wh- whatever it is that you find compelling. Um, but I'm but more so tell me about the complicated familial dynamics you're going to because I want to always be reading more stuff. Yes. So. <laughs> so just just let us know. Uh, you can check out our writing on the fundamentals we also have a store if you scroll to the bottom of the page and click on the merch stuff. <laughs> yep, we've got plenty of that. Oh, hi, Joy. You're back. <laughs> uh, hi. I restarted Safari. That's what women do, right? When they have computer troubles, they restart it. 
Yes, that is that's what anyone does. Gender. I was going to say I don't think gender. I don't think gender plays it. Valence is that. I, I don't think know. It's just what My father do. always makes fun of women for doing that. He's just like whatever. What, do, what is what's your father's solution to like? I, I think he fucking, like wiggles like, cables and things like that. His... <laughs> He's a cable wiggler. Oh, okay, oh, that's very manly. Yeah. Nice. Um, Did you just yeah, make it, that like a euphemism? Okay. Well, we're just gonna get out of here before this gets weirder. Uh, if you if you liked this episode, please tell your friends about this podcast, or leave us a review or a uh, rating on whatever platform you do that. I think iTunes is the most helpful for us to getting discovered. Mm-hmm. That's my impression of it, which yeah. I know can be like a whole thing, but we appreciate it. We appreciate it a whole lot. And uh, other than that, we will talk to you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Goodbye.